I would like people to read this memoir who are struggling or who are curious about running, because it really is a running book too. It's a mental health book. And especially somebody who has touched the darkness, who's been close, because people who haven't might not get it. And they might, I mean, I've had comments where people say, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I'm not her. And hey, that's, <laughs> I sometimes wished I wasn't me too. <laughs> I mean, really, my brain is, I, the, the first line, the first line in the book is, my mind was trying to kill me again. Greetings, hello, good day, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining True Hope Cast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. And True Hope Canada, we are a mind and body-based supplement company that is dedicated first and foremost to promoting brain and body health through non-invasive nutritional means. For more information about us, you can visit truehopecanada.com. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave us a review and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Today, I've got the pleasure of welcoming Nita Sweeney to the show. Now, Nita is an award-winning wellness author of the running and mental health memoir, Depression Hates a Moving Target, How Running With My Dog Brought Me Back From The Brink. Nita is a meditation leader, a mental health advocate, and an ultra-marathoner. Today, we're going to discuss how people can find their motivation to get moving to support their mental health. Enjoy the show. All right. Good morning, Nita. Welcome to True Hope Cast. Really appreciate you taking the time today. How are you? What is going well? I'm doing really well. I'm excited to be here to have this chat with you and, you know, talk to your audience and all of that. So it's good. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Sharing stories, meeting new people. It's just incredible that we can utilize platforms like this to be able to have conversations. You're in Ohio. I'm in London. You know, it's just, uh, it's quite remarkable how uh, how we're able to um, have these conversations and share so much different, unique information. And it's, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to do it. So just as an introduction, could you just um, let us know who you are and what it is that you do? Well, I'm an author. That's the main thing I do. And I wrote a book called Depression Hates a Moving Target, How Running With My Dog Brought Me Back From the Brink. I have a new book coming out in um, August, uh, Make Every Move a Meditation, Mindful Movement for Mental Health, Well-Being, and Insight. I write about running, um, meditation, mental health, dogs. I also um, do writing practice, which is kind of a form of meditation. So I guess I'm a mental health advocate. That's probably the umbrella label goes over everything. But uh, yeah, but mostly I'm an author. So I write stuff. Okay, so how did you become a mental health advocate? You know, I think that everybody uh, could serve themselves at least by doing so. But, you know, a lot of people who go through something in their lives um, end up using that experience to positively impact people going forward with their story, with an outlet like a book or a podcast or something like that. So how did you come to, I mean, it's an incredible title, by the way, for the for the book. I mean, we'll get on to how you came up with that because it's incredibly incredibly captivating in regards to where it takes my mind when i just even read that target because yeah that, that that makes that makes so much sense depression hates a moving target it's beautiful um so why don't you tell us how you became a mental health advocate take us through that initial journey well the book did it that wasn't my plan <laughs> 
I just wanted to write books, put them out in the world. And people started reading it and started hearing about my story and could relate because as you say, almost anybody who's had a difficult time, a mental health crisis um, could call themselves an advocate if they start helping others. And so it's when I realized that the story that I shared was helping other people that I decided to call myself a mental health advocate. There's not a certificate for that that I know of, or if there is, I don't have it. But I had to find a way to explain what I was doing because I write about a lot of different things and have for many years, but there's always been that angle of being a woman who lives with depression, a woman who has bipolar disorder, who has struggled to try to do a lot of things, failed many times, and then finally had this big success, especially when we get to talking about the running, the way that really changed my life. And so being out in the public, doing things like this podcast and writing uh, guest posts for other people, being in magazines, things like that, that all, when that all um, started to stick, I realized that it was more than just little Nita in central Ohio telling her story. It was about a bigger message of hope for other people. So you've experienced like what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, certainly. Right. We're facilitating conversation and it's, it can just be so powerful to, to so many different people, even if one person connects with it and maybe makes a different, has a different thought process in their life and feels and behaves in a different way. It's very, very positive. So you've experienced mental health challenges in, in the in the past, and we'll get into it. But running and exercising and moving your body seemed to be a way out of it. And then you had this incredible um, creative experience about to write this memoir and share these stories and write blogs and, and do all of this. And you, obviously, you know, you're into into your second book, so you're continuing this creative process. And I'm sure that creative process is supporting you just like the running was. Would I be right in saying that? Um, As a creative outlet. When I'm in the writing, yeah. When I'm in the writing process, yes. I write um, for myself first and then figure out, is this something anybody wants to read? So that writing for yourself process is very cathartic and therapeutic. The promotion and publishing process is not always as therapeutic because it's really competitive. It's really, really, really competitive, the book market. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm constantly, constantly feels like I'm, um, just trying to get myself out there partly for the message, but partly because I do want people to read what I'm writing. Cause that's sort of why that's part of why you write. Um, so it's kind of a mix. It's kind of a mix. And that's why I think it's been so important for me to focus on the people listening, the audience and who might be helped by this. Because when I start focusing too much on myself, um, I can get, you know, imposter syndrome. I can get a lot of paranoia. But if I keep in mind the people that might resonate, you know, the message might resonate with or who just might be having a really bad day and, Uh, something I say makes them laugh or smile, anything like that. Uh, I keep my mind there and that, that really helps. Wonderful. Yeah. When I think of depression, anxiety or moments in my life, when I've I've experienced some sort of level of it, I think about the, like the cyclical thoughts that, that, that happen that like keep coming back and ruminating and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm, 
I'm using a very specific part of my brain to keep me thinking in a certain way, which keeps me feeling in a specific way. And then I will exhibit behaviors depending on, on those thoughts and feelings. So just exercising is going to start using different parts of your brain and your body and writing is going to do exactly the same type of thing. So being able to find some sort of outlet, whether that is moving your body or writing or artwork or something like that, being able to access different parts of your brain and literally sparking new chemical um, connections without question is going to really help kickstart somebody out of that depressive mindset. And when I was reading your bio before we, before we agreed to, to um, meet up and do this podcast, you mentioned in um, one of your posts that your, one of your motivations to start running was from a middle-aged friend of yours. And it made me think about there's a lot of mo if you want really wanted to find it, there's a lot of motivation on let's just say social media or on Instagram or Facebook, but we don't necessarily know those people really, you know, unless but you you were motivated by a friend, you know. So do you think that what helped you take that leap was because it was an actual friend of yours that you knew? Um or, you know, do you think you would have had the same effect on a stranger? No, I think it had to be somebody I knew. And that's, I think that's probably because of my personality. I tend to have a very close circle of friends and, you know, tight family. And she was somebody, and also it was because she was so much like me. We were about the same age. I think she said maybe six to nine months older than me. Neither one of us were athletic in school and not really in our adult lives. And she had over the years gained weight the way I had. And so I just felt this kinship with her and then was really startled when she started running. That was, that was just not in the picture that I had of her at all. And so I watched for a while. I wasn't immediately inspired. At first, I really thought we should be concerned we should do like a wellness check on her or something I mean, it was because she posted call me crazy but this running is getting to be fun and i had never really seen anything about running as fun i had tried to run when i was younger basically sprinted is what i know i was doing um, now i realize that's what i was doing was actually sprinting and so when i saw that i just it caught my attention because this is person i know and suddenly there's something that seems so out of character. So I watched her for a while before it actually inspired me. And then things going on in my own life, um, whereas my mood was spiraling down, I was in a really bad grief cycle. And I have, you know, I've suffered from chronic depression for many years, but I was in a really bad depressive episode in a grief cycle. And, um, and so just the day came when I remembered her and I had this maybe even a little bit of FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. Like she's doing something that maybe could help me. And, you know, it's, it's hard. Uh, people ask me, people tend to come to me and they say, Oh, my sister needs to read your book or, Oh, I wish my mom would read your book or, Oh, I, and I, I mean, I hope that they will, but the thing that has to change is inside me. And that's what happened that day. It was like all the things came together and I got brave enough to go outside and give it a try. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I, you know, you, I mean, when I see um, models, actresses, actors on the covers of magazines or Instagram 
influencers. There's some of them I can relate to, but mostly I just think, oh, that's kind of pretty to look at. I mean, that's just me again. Um, but this was a person I had known for many, many years. And I did. I do think that made a difference. I did. For me, it did. I think so. It, it sounds like you're saying that you saw, no, you, or you did say this, that you saw a lot of yourself within this individual and you were very surprised by what this individual was doing because you probably weren't doing that yourself at the time and you couldn't see yourself doing that. But looking at this other person, just just amazing and i really think i think you hit it there with with the 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 actors and the actresses and the celebrities and the the influencers on instagram i think it's there's so much um it's just surface value like it's not really there's no substance there but when you're able to internalize what somebody else is doing that you have a some sort of connection with whether that is a friend or somebody who's similar to you i think that holds a lot more of a you know a deep visceral um something that yeah does begin to spark that change rather than a lot of people who go on instagram and swipe and you know check all this stuff out and look at all these images and these videos you know it's very like surface level interest and if anything it might actually contribute to more anxieties because you you might not have what you're seeing or depression you don't have what you're not doing what these other people are doing and there's confusion there because is it really genuine? Is it filtered? Is it edited? Is it, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of icky to think about really. But when you are, you know, seeing what one of your friends is doing, that's really inspirational. It's really different because it's real. It's, it's, there's reality there. It's connection. Yeah. I think especially at that time in my life, most of social media was a real turnoff because I was doing so much comparing and I won't, I mean, I'm sort of an influencer now. I'm in that whole world. And so I'm kind of careful to, you know, to not say anything bad about influencers. But you're right. A lot of it is um, questioning when I'm looking at this. Is that what this person really looks like? Because I know that I'm going to give you the best photo of me. I mean, I'm off to take some headshots for a, a big kind of thing this afternoon. And you know, she's going to take a hundred photos and we're going to narrow it down to about three that look really good (laughs) because that's what we can do on social media. Um, But yeah, there was just for me something about it being someone I knew and thinking eventually, not right at first, but eventually after watching her, following her story for a while, thinking maybe if she can do this, I can too. And again, I want to be, I want to be careful because I have some very serious mental health issues that I live with. And so someone else who doesn't live with that kind of um, deficit of happy brain chemicals um, all the time might not see it quite that same way, but that trust level needed to be there for me because I was in that dark place where I was only compare. I wasn't even compare. I was contrasting about how different I was, how that wouldn't work for me, how, oh my gosh, that's not, I can't even try that. That just sounds exhausting. You know, those kinds of things. I was just at that level. And so maybe somebody who's not at that level is just having a string of bad days. That might be, that might work for them. I don't know, but I, you're right. I needed that connection where it was somebody I knew I trusted and she wasn't Photoshopping anything and she was out there running and wow, it blew me away. Is this friend aware of the influence that she's had on you? 
She is now. Yes. I, um, when did I tell her, um, her, it's very sad, actually her brother who was, she was like the class ahead of me and her brother was a class behind and he had a brain tumor and ultimately died of brain, the can, I think it was a cancer tumor. Um, and her, uh, sister-in-law. So his wife started a 5k charity 5k for, it was before he, um, before he died, she started it. And we met up for that. And I explained to her that, you know, she had been the one to be that inspiration. I did use her name. I'm pretty sure. I think I just used her first name in the, um, her name was Kim in the book. And so she probably knew because the timing was right. And the phrase was right, you know, call me crazy, but this running is getting to be fun. And so uh, I don't, you know, I, I didn't mean to put any pressure on her or anything. And I don't think I did. I think she's, she's the kind of person that would just love it and let anything roll off. But it was, it was very important. And so I think the message or the takeaway from that is you don't ever know who's watching, you know, you don't know. Um, when not that we have to be all concerned and be a good example every minute but when you do something that may seem small to you may seem like just something you did on a lark you never know when somebody who really needs to see that or hear that is going to receive that message and that's what happened with me and it could have been um some other person i had so many people tell me over the years Oh, exercise will help. And I had um, experiences where I did try different things, but I could never stick with it, partly because of the recurring depression, but probably because I just don't think it was the right thing for me. I'm I'm not your Zumba queen. You know, I'm not a, a the stair stepper person. I'm not, I just had to have a thing that that really fit me. And running did uh, for whatever reason, even though I'm you know, I don't. I still don't look like a lot of the runners that I see. If you if you look at the influencers in the running community, oh my gosh, you know, they're the tiny little people with these wiry bodies and they're running three times as fast as me. Um, but I don't care. And I have found, I have found my people. We call ourselves the back of the packers uh, because we are, we're the ones at the back of the pack. And we just have a really good time and enjoy it. And we're still competitive. We're competitive with each other. But, um, but, you know, you have to kind of find the tribe. So she was the right person. It was the right time in my life. It was the right activity. It just felt like a whole bunch of things came together um, that made me willing to leash up my dog, carry a digital timer because the, the training plan said jog for 60 seconds. That was the other thing. I think if it had said run or had said 62 seconds. I mean, I really just the 60 seconds jog. Um, I felt like, you know, I think I can do that on this particular day. And so we went down into this ravine area where there's uh, the houses are set way back because it's a floodplain. So there's no houses down there. Um, so I thought nobody could see me. Of course, mind you, it's a weekday. So, and I live in this kind of bedroom community, so there's nobody here anyway, but I had a little bit of paranoia and, uh, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have the right clothes and I'm overweight, you know, I'm in different, well, I'm not, I was a larger person, uh, than what I had seen in the running, the anything running I had seen. And so I had a lot of, uh, fears about what other people would think of me. And I, the dog was a decoy cause they would think, oh, she's just walking the dog. 
and uh, down we went. But it, it took that combination of all those things to get me into the ravine where things really started to change. So, Yeah, everything needed to be right. And that's that's OK. I think that the um, example of, of what Kim did for you is a great example of how we can influence people from all over the place in many different ways just by our own actions and behaviors and we're not necessarily doing those things to do that to not doing these things to influence other people but that energy and that frequency is is you know you can feel that and it's it's exciting and it's it can really influence people in a very very positive way so it's yeah it's a really great way really really good idea to take these things on board and you know try and live your life with a lot of positivity and trying to do these things to not necessarily for yourself but to influence other people because trying to change somebody and trying to get them to read that book or do this or do that it's very it's not it's very rare that that type of approach really really works people have to have this intrinsic experience in order to really begin the process of of doing things a little bit differently to start experiencing the benefits of something like you know running or exercise but um the mem the memoir i'm going to read the title out again depression hates a moving target how running with my dog brought me back from the brink first of all tell me about that tell me about how that title came about and um, who do you think should read this memoir i'll start with the second question i would like people to read this memoir who are struggling or who are curious about running, because it really is a running book too. It's a mental health book. And especially somebody who has touched the darkness, who's been close, because people who haven't might not get it. And they might, I mean, I've had comments where people say, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I'm not her. And hey, that's, <laughs> I sometimes wished I wasn't me too. <laughs> I mean, really, my brain is, I, the, the first line, the first line in the book is, my mind was trying to kill me again. That's the first sentence in the book. And that's kind of in my life. So the title comes from, I, I'm sure it's not original, but I must have heard it somewhere. And friends of mine and I, who also struggle with depression, or you know the the depressive episodes of bipolar disorder would call each other at different times for support and i just it popped in my head when we were we were looking for alternate titles because the working title was like 26 point freaking two it wasn't wasn't a great title it was just a working title so my friend and i would talk about these struggles and we would say kind of laughing well you know depression hates a moving target we should be doing something. And that particular day when she couldn't get out of bed, that's just what I said. And I said, just remember, depression hates a moving target. Just get out of bed. I'm going to hang up and I'll call you. Call me back when you're out of bed. And then she did. And we just worked through the day. And I'd had people do that same thing for me where I was just in such a low, dark place. And they may not have said that exact phrase, but that really stuck in my head. And so when the editor wanted some really good options for titles, that was the first thing I suggested. I said, I think this is it. And she agreed that it was it because it has the motion. It has, um, I don't know, it's just, it, it says so much. It's very interesting because it doesn't 
it didn't translate into Korean, at least when they did the, the book has been translated into Korean and they changed the title um, because I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's an idiom, but, you know, it's like a, it's, it's symbolic. It has meaning that you get from the language that we understand what a moving target is and um, that. So, so that's where it came from. Yeah. And I'm really glad they used it. I, I think it, it just fit the book and the experience. So. I think it's, a, I think it's a mantra. I think it's something that people could be saying to themselves on a daily basis when they're starting to feel low. Like I've got two young kids and sometimes my two year old is in the room next to me and it's five thirty, and he is just like yelling for me. And all I want is 30 more minutes in bed. And I honestly think now just like retrospectively looking back at it, I should just get up and get moving. Like the the worst thing is to sit there for another 30 minutes while he goes off and I start swirling the thoughts around in my head. It's going to like rile me up even more. I'm going to use that tomorrow morning. I hope I don't have to use it, but it's, it's going to be a little mantra that I've got. So I appreciate that. That's one thing I'm going to be certainly going to be taking from this, this episode today. Um, How would you recommend that the unmotivated can begin to find motivation? Small steps, tiny steps, making goals so tiny that you can't fail. Jog for 60 seconds. That was mine. So it might be somebody wants to write a book. Set a timer, 10 minutes, go. Just download your thoughts. Um, but I have um, kind of the disease of overwhelm and I also have a lot of ideas. And so I have to pick one very specific thing and narrow it down to a time period, preferably that is identifiable. So a, a concrete time period, it's because kind of creates a little pressure cooker effect. I'm only going to do this for five minutes. I'm only going to jog for 60 seconds. Um, that's how I started meditating was five minutes at a time. And then what happened for me was the um, little dopamine hit I got from achieving the tiny thing I said I was going to do. Those build over time. Now, it also helped me that I had that training plan that my friend was following. She had an interval training plan and it's called Couch to 5K is the one she used. Um because I ended up printing it out and then I would come home when I had done, I think there were three workouts a week. I'd done the workout. I'd come home and make a little check mark next to it. And then I would not have to decide what to do the next time because it was already, it was already written out for me. So if you can find some kind of plan that gives you a little bit of structure, especially if you're in overwhelm, that can help pull you through because you don't have to decide what to do next. You just do what's on the plan. And um, like I said, that, that really helped me. Um, community helped me. At first, I was not um, courageous or informed enough to join a running community. Um, and so I got online and was able to hide behind a, you know, uh, uh, the keyboard and such. And eventually I did join an in-person community. And now I know, oh, it's Wednesday. They're going to be running tonight. I guess I'll join them. And we kind of look out for each other and we share information. People who've 
done things I haven't yet will tell me how they did it. It's a, you know, it's a community. It's like a fellowship, a support in the community. So if you can find a community, that's really helpful. If you get stuck, ask for help. There are coaches. There are other people who've done this before. I just, I don't think there's hardly anything. There are very few things that have never been done before. And so, um, uh, so find somebody who's done it and tell them what's going on and see if they can help you with whatever is getting you stuck. But those are, those are kind of the, I guess the, the big ones for me was that um, tiny, tiny goals, having some kind of structure for me, it was a plan that I literally printed out and put on the side. I tape it to the side of my bookcase, um, the community, and then experts. I, yeah, I, I go to a running store to get shoes or I go online to a running website to get shoes because I want to know what the best thing is for my feet. So it's like you, you know, going to a specialist and there are people out there that can help. The same thing with mental health issues is like, don't be afraid to ask for help because at some point, I mean, I don't just run. Running is one tool in a very large, hefty toolkit I have of mental health tools. And those include, for me, therapy, medication, uh, a support network, and meditation, and a regular writing practice. I have all of those things. And it always feels like I never know which one is going to work. And so I have them all at the ready in case I need them. And I try to keep them all in rotation, too. Because it just, I go, I things just go better when I sort of have all of that going. And then once you get in motion, I mean, we're fighting inertia. That's the biggest thing. We're just fighting inertia. So once you get in motion, the um, scientific forces that you will stay in motion, but it's getting in motion that that's the hard part. And that just takes a tiny thing, just a tiny little push. Did those three factors build on each other, you know, like starting small and having a plan? Um, and then it kind of gives you the confidence. You know, you were, you were talking about, you know, you were trying to find an environment where no one would see you running. You know, like that's, you know, that's starting small. That builds the confidence up to join a running group. And then, you know, once you, you know, start doing that a little bit more, then you've got the more confidence to ask for some support and expert opinion. Did those three things kind of build, build on top of each other for you? Yes. First off, the training plan built it the way it was structured. So you very gradually increased the amount of time running versus the amount of time walking, because that's what it was. It was an interval plan. So you ran a little, walk a little, ran a little, walk a little, and it gradually increased the amount of running time. And there are train, uh, there are plans, training plans where you gradually increase the speed or the intensity or you know things like that. So that was actually built into that plan. But yes, as I, um, the, the first indicator was that I told people because I didn't even tell my husband when I picked up that digital timer, he was at work and I, I was probably a couple weeks before I said, oh, by the way, while you're at work, I'm out jogging in the neighborhood. It also took me a little while to get out of the ravine. And the ravine is not very long. It's maybe... I'm not sure it's even quarter of a mile, but for a while I would just go back and forth in the ravine. I wouldn't even, you know, I'd get to the top of the hill where the houses were and I'd go, nope, and turn around and go back. And so that took a little while for me to build up just the confidence to even, um, I call it running in public. Um, and then 
this is sort of a leap, which if you don't have a sister, this isn't going to help. But when I told people, um, I told my husband first and then my sister, um, I'd had that year. I don't think I talked about it specifically. I had a year, a couple years before I started running where seven people and a cat died. And two of those people, one was my 24 year old niece, one was my mother, and it was my niece's cat, my father-in-law. So there was seven different people. It was just a horrible year. And so after I started running, I told my sister, who was the mother of the niece, it was her only child who had died of cancer. And so she was in this group that was doing uh, fundraising for research for the cancer, that type of cancer. And so they they were having a 5K. Oh, my gosh. And so she emailed me or she would have called me, I forget, and said, hey, let's do this. And I went, no, I'm a private runner. I don't run in public. I just was I mean, I couldn't even imagine leaving the neighborhood by then. I, you know, I was so brave to run in front of houses. Um, but I got over myself is essentially what happened. I realized this is this cause is so much bigger than you and your little paranoia. And um, I mean, it felt big. It felt big inside me, but I, I did eventually do that. And that was huge because it blew away all the misconceptions I'd had about what a runner looks like and who a runner can be and who can participate in these charity events and what people wear, um, whether the bib goes on the front or the back. I mean, it was all kinds of things that, that I didn't know. And so that gradual building, um, which ultimately led to the 5k, which then led to the in-person group that was after the 5k, I, uh, you know, joined this in-person group. And then that built because <laughs> this is another uh, cliche you probably heard of, but if you hang around a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. You hang around with marathoners long enough, eventually you're going to sign up for the Columbus marathon. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's what happened. That's their normal. That's their normal. So it's um, it's the kind of thing where you're with these people who are just very casually talking about running these distances that seem unfathomable. And um, before you know it, you're well, I was anyway. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I know yeah. a lot of people that that's the way it works, though. You start with a half marathon and then, oh, let's do a marathon. And now we're doing ultras. Let's go run 31 miles in the woods looking for snack tents, you know, <laughs> for fun. No, it's, a, it's a great testament to that to that type of building block process getting those foundations right and it's a very interesting uh just you telling me about the you know your very internal experience at the beginning of getting out of your own head and then beginning to run and you're in this ravine so you're still kind of like internalized hiding yourself and then as you get more confident and your skill builds, you start climbing out of the ravine and then you're running around. Now you do marathons like that's just amazing. I think it's a very interesting um, me metaphor, I suppose, how, you know, you're running in a ravine, still kind of like trapped in your own mind a little bit. And then, boom, here we go. I think that's very, very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, what would you say to people who don't like running? Like who just like, I know, you, you don't like have to run, I suppose. Yeah, you don't you don't have to run. You don't really. I really think the um, key is just getting your heart rate up a little bit. And there's actually a lot of research on it that there are certain types of activity that are more helpful than others for uh, depression. But pretty much any movement, 
a gentle walk, some stretching, lifting tiny weights, slow jogging, any of it. Uh, they have done research that shows that it produces the happy brain chemicals. And that's what you want. You want the happy brain chemicals. And then I don't know that they've studied this, but the sense of accomplishment of Nita said she'd do something and she did it because Nita said she'd do a lot of things that she couldn't do and didn't do because of her, you know, of the depression, I'm talking myself in the third person, but I did said I was going to do or tried to do a lot of things that I really couldn't do. And so that sense of accomplishment builds as well. I think it all ties together for me. And then of course the community isolation is huge um, factor for uh, factor for suicide, quite frankly, but it's a huge factor for mental health problems and a huge factor that we've dealt with during the pandemic is isolation and loneliness. And so if you can find a community, even if it's online of people that do the same, whether it's, you don't even have to call it a sport, same movement form that you do, then you suddenly have a common language and that's a community. That's a tribe. You have inside jokes and you laugh with each other about your certain little inside jokes that the, you know, the pickleball people have theirs and the runners have theirs and all of that. So I, you don't, you know, it's very funny because another podcaster was, he said it a, a different way. He just kept saying, well, I just don't like, I just don't understand the running. I just don't like, I just don't see. And he would just tell me all the reasons running was awful. And I just said to him, Dan, you might not be a runner. You know, it's okay. You know, <laughs> I'm not saying everybody has to be a runner. That's just what worked for me because I tried the mini trampoline. I had all the gym memberships. I was the, you know, took the dance class. I, I tried so many different things. The weight machines. I still kind of like weight machines, but um, and should do them more. But uh, but nothing stuck. And it's been more than ten years now, and I'm still running and still want to run. Have days I don't want to, of course. Um, it was hailing the other day. <laughs> I was like, what? It's April. It's not supposed to be hailing here, but it was hailing. And I didn't like that very much. But, you know, I'm ready to go again. Yeah. It's time. I'm signed up for races. And yeah, that helps. That's the other thing about running is that um, you can sign up for races and that gives you kind of something to draw you uh, toward. So you have that goal that kind of pulls you toward it because you have this race to train for and that sometimes something's having money on the line, uh, betting. Uh, I, I know some friends that like bet each other. Oh, you can't, you know, you can't work your way up to a full one minute plank and then you got, you got 60 days to do it. I'll bet you 10 bucks. And that can, I mean, you figure out what works for you. That's not my thing, but yeah, but yeah, you might not be a runner. It's okay. Yeah. There's certainly no lots of options that. out there for people. And I think it's, um, what does that what, what does that run or does what does that jog mean and what can it offer you like i've i've never been a fan of like going out and running on my own but you know i've been playing team sports my whole life and i'm a big soccer player and um i love the idea of going out there and running with a purpose or for the ball or for whatever you know i'm not sure but before having kids the idea of going out and running on my own was like i just was not interested whatsoever but now it's like it's a great 20 minutes for me to clear my head get my heart rate up um shift literally shift my energy in my body and you know take you know just just, just change things up completely and um 
it's a really great way for me to actually start focusing on my breath because you know I, I you know I really like to focus and do lots of breath training and when I, I know I just do 20 minutes and it's really slow paced it's more about it's more about having very deliberate conscious breath for 20 minutes you know which can be an absolute game changer mm-hmm. for for many different parts of your health that's what running means to me but in the two years I've had two, two, three years where I've had children, like that, my my approach to running and my belief, my beliefs around running as well, have completely changed because it means something very different to me than it did three years ago. And I think that as we get older and things change and we go through different experiences, something like running, which for a lot of people is this like not in, no interest, it can be an absolute game changer because it's so unbelievably accessible it's literally you know step outside or just stand mm-hmm. up and start moving your body up and down you know it's like super accessible and it's just a great way to um just change your frequency and change your energy i think it's great what um how does meditation for you fit fit into all of this because you know you have a lot of people do different types of exercise and they go into some sort of like you know a trance state and their their brain is doing very very deliberate things and we mentioned the breath a second ago so what is how does meditation fit into all of this for you well i actually have been meditating much longer three times as long as i've been running and i do insight or uh, vipassana meditation so it's about keeping your mind in the present moment as opposed to um, altering your mind state, which is another form of meditation, perfectly fine. But the type I practice, we're not trying to change anything. Um, the byproduct is change. That's the end result, but that's not necessarily the motive. Uh, that motive in this type of meditation can actually become a hindrance because then you are attached to a certain outcome. So how I incorporated into running, I realized pretty quickly that I was naturally falling into a meditative kind of a focused, calm, concentrated state when I was running. That was just sort of happening naturally. And as I know now from some research I've done, meditation is actually a a natural mind state. Most people fall in and out of it all the time. Um, And my goal is to help people do it on purpose. So I happened to have a congenital defect in my left ankle. I call it my wonky ankle. And as a result of that, I have sensations, more sensations in my left foot than in my right foot. And I use that as my object of meditation. So when I'm running, you know, sometimes I don't don't pay attention to it at all. But if I'm looking for a way to focus, or especially if I'm doing long long miles and I want something to kind of bring me back in the moment, something that's familiar I can focus on. I just notice what what my foot feels like. Um, Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it tingling? Does it sting? Is it pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? And I just bring my mind back. And I don't berate myself for my mind wandering. Minds generate thoughts. That's what that's their job. And I gently bring my mind back. And so that's kind of my go-to, but some days, I mean, when, when I live in, like I said, I live in central Ohio and it's gorgeous here in the spring, there's all these blooming trees and it's, it's just lovely. And so some days I just want to look at the color pink. And so I just notice the colors of pink and fuchsia and, you know, pale pink, uh, cotton candy, pink, anything this as I'm running along. And I always, I always say safety first. So pay attention to your surroundings. Make sure you're not running in front of cars or ta- you know, running over toddlers or things like that. But, um, but that's just becomes my object of meditation. And it's a very simple formula of just 
choosing an object of meditation, choosing a time period. So sometimes I'll just say, I'm just going to meditate for the first mile or I'm going to meditate. Um, I do run walk sometimes. And so I'm just going to meditate during the walk portion. Um, but sometimes I do it for the whole run too. It just depends on what my goal is for that particular workout, kind of where I am in my life. I just feel better when I keep my head where my body is because so much of the time, especially in our culture, we spend in our heads, we spend thinking, and usually it's, it's daydreaming or it's sometimes it's um, frustration about the past or it could be resentment or um, regret about the past. Or when I go in the future, there is some fun planning, but often it's anxiety. I'm worried about the way something's going to go in the future. And so if I can bring myself back to what's actually happening in my body or with my thoughts right now, right in this moment, invariably I calm down. I, you know, the heart rate drops, the blood pressure drops. And the interesting thing is when you're doing any kind of um, physical activity, especially something where even though I'm not, um, you know, I'm not trying to win the race, I do want to do well. If I use less energy mentally, I have more energy physically. So if I'm not spending the whole run agitated about, um, you know, worried about something that's going to happen in the future or thinking about something that happened in the past, if I can be keep my mind relaxed and in this moment, I tend to do better. Um, or I tend to accept whatever happens, which also I do better. So that's the way it works for me. And the great thing is, is it carries over into the rest of your life. Because if you can learn how to meditate when you're, um, you know, playing a sport, running, exercising, doing push-ups, sit-ups, playing laser tag, whatever, you can meditate when you're walking down the hallway. You can meditate when you're in a big meeting with your boss. I mean, you can be present. Because that's what it really is for me, is just being right where you're at and being with the people you're with. Yeah, being able to take, even if it's five to ten minutes, of separating your kind of mind from your body, because a lot of the time our body is just carrying our, carrying ourselves through the world and through our days, through these kind of like habitual what, habitual lives that we lead. And I think, yeah, just for me, like the, the running and just I'm just focusing on my breathing and love, you know, I'm allowing my body to kind of make sure I'm in a safe environment, but just focusing on my breathing allows my mind to not really wander anywhere off and wander elsewhere. So yeah, for me, that is a, without question, one of the big benefits of running for me is like being able to clear my mind for like 10 to 20 minutes and to have a kind of a little bit of a reset. And yeah, I love the idea of like body scanning as a meditation as well. I think we very, very rarely check in with our physical body, like being able to learn how to put your attention on your small, small right toe or your lower back or your upper spine can be really beneficial and can really open your eyes up to where you might be holding aches and pains. And, you know, if you can put some attention on that. You can start putting some energy there. You know, there's a lot of science that shows that you can heal a lot of things by you know being able to meditate effectively and put your consciousness and your awareness in different parts of your body that might be causing you some problems but um yeah that's amazing we're just coming to coming to the end Nita. i really appreciate your time today can you just finish up and let us know how can people connect with you and you know maybe get a digital or a um in-person copy of your book in-person copy is a bit strange but you know you know what i mean physical <laughs> the physical I book 
they can see me in person in Columbus, Ohio. Yes, the best place to find me online is nitasweeney.com. It's N-I-T-A-S-W-E-E-N-E-Y.com. I assume he'll have it in the show notes or you can see my name here. And on that on that website, there's also a free ebook, which is uh, a digital download. It's called Three Ways to Heal Your Mind. And it talks about the three kind of things, three of the tools I talked about today. Um, the books are for sale there. And then I love this. Very early in my publication journey, I asked my editor um, where the best place was for people to buy books because it has a we have an ebook, a um, paperback, and then we have the audiobook also. And um, and she said, oh, Nita, just tell them wherever fine books are sold. So that's where you can find my books is wherever fine books are sold. So that might be Amazon. That might be Barnes and Noble. It might be Books and Company. It might be, you know, Scribd. I mean, whatever, wherever you like to buy books, that's the best place. Um, and the library too. ask your library to get it. That's totally, totally great. We uh, we love having the book in libraries. It's, it's in a bunch of different libraries. So and I have I actually have three books. I didn't talk about the second one the writing journal. So um, I have the memoir, Depression Hates a Moving Target, a writing journal, which is blank pages for you to fill with your thoughts. And then the third one that's coming out that I'm really exciting, excited about is a kind of a how-to called Make Every Move a Meditation. And it's about how to meditate while you move, any movement form. So yeah, neatisfinney.com. Go there and I will, I will uh, respond to your emails. I have a newsletter too if you want to hear from me more often. Beautiful. Well, we will make sure that all of those links are available in the show notes so people can access that. But again, I really want to appreciate, I really appreciate your time today, Anita. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been great. Thanks for good questions. That makes it, makes it so much easier. Yeah, no, I had a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. Um, all right. That is it for this episode of True Hope Cast. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Again, everything you need to connect with Nita will be in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. If you are listening on iTunes, take two minutes, leave a review. Very, very helpful. Um, but that's it. We'll see you next week, everyone. Bye. <laughs>